this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, good morning and thanks for tuning in today. We're picking up with our series in Proverbs, moving on to our next topic, and that is child rearing and training up children to know and fear God. That's a very important topic. Uh, it's dealt with in many, many places in Scripture, not just in the book of Proverbs. And of course, the Bible is its own best commentary, I believe, personally. And so we're going to be incorporating a number of different texts into our study, but primarily looking at what Solomon has to say or rather was inspired to say, about bringing up godly and wise children. How can we be effective parents and grandparents or guardians or whatever the case may be so that we can be a positive influence on our children and teach them to be just and righteous and how to be acceptable to God? So let's dig in this morning. We're going to begin in Proverbs 10, excuse me, Proverbs 22 and verse 15. I think that this is a good launching point for us to start this discussion uh, when it comes to raising children. And Solomon says there in Proverbs 22 and verse 15, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And so we have this biblical teaching about foolishness, how it's bound up in the heart of a child. And we think in our world today about the statistics regarding teen pregnancy and you know the drug and alcohol abuse and gang violence and how many of those things and, and folks involved in those things specifically target young people. And there just is so many tragic and destructive consequences as as a result. And I'm not going to go into statistics and give you specifics. I think you can easily find those on, on your own if it's your desire. But you're not going to have to look very hard. It's just um, it's just incredibly sad and and disgusting that the the horrible fallout that comes from foolish sinful choices uh, from so many young people that needlessly are ruining their lives or ending their lives uh, because of folly and sin and so in this portion of our our proverb series we're again we're focusing on parenting uh, guiding and training our children in godly wisdom so that they may live in the fear of the lord from a young age so contrary to worldly opinion. And I think, sadly, even the opinion of many Bible readers and some who would identify as Christians, they're of the opinion that young people <clears throat> can't be taught uh, to, to fear God. They just need to be left to find their own way and, uh, you know, sow their oats and, you know, all, all these kinds of expressions that we are, are familiar with. Uh, but Solomon says in a different book, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that young people can remember and should remember their Creator in the days of their youth, Ecclesiastes twelve one. So, you know the the answer here to the problems that we see the and just the you know all the destruction and 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 foolish choices. The answer is not in stricter public education policies, or you know, or hiring a new principal or a new teacher or government programs. Uh, you know, those things have their place and there's something to be said for that, but rather the solution is developing greater reverence and application of God's holy word. That's, from the biblical perspective, the answer to folly and sin 
and ruining the ruining of young people's lives. How do you stop that? How do you prevent this from happening? Well, remember, remember your creator and the days of your youth. And the onus is upon parents and grandparents to instill a knowledge and a fear of God within young people, the young people for whom they are responsible, right? It's, it's not the government's responsibility to instill biblical teaching in my kids or your kids. Your children are your responsibility and my children are my responsibility. And from day one, from day one, when you become a mother or father, uh, there's going to be people who will tell you to expect less of your children. Sometimes it'll be teachers, co-workers in whom you confide, even grandparents, uh, even church members will tell you to expect less from your children. And they'll bombard you with uh, stories and the difficulties of child rearing. I think in one of the, not not in an attempt to get you to relax and lighten up and not be um, so diligent, but uh, but I think that's one of the natural effects, maybe unintended consequence. We might we might say, and uh, listening to these all these folks who will tell us to expect less, even though they mean well. Uh, but our children are not their children. Your your children are not their children. They are your children are your responsibility, and God has entrusted them to you. And there's nothing wrong with seeking counsel, and we'll talk more about that. But ultimately. They have been entrusted to you, and you must train them up in the way they should go, regardless of what other people think or how you come off, how your parenting style, if you want to call it that, comes off to other people as strict or you know, domineering or authoritarian. That's going to be how it's skewed, typically, in my experience, if you're trying to raise your children according to the biblical pattern. Uh, but regardless of all of that, you have to stay the course, right, in Train your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. And so from the get-go, when we talk about biblically raising godly children and teaching children to know the Lord, we, we first of all have to own up to the awesome responsibility that has been placed upon us. And I think that's the first step in being wiser parents is that it is it is our responsibility ultimately and there's going to be many people who try to shift that responsibility and want to shift that responsibility because it's going to be difficult and seek a you know a workaround or a loophole or an easier method or listen to those folks who are telling you you're just expecting too much and you need to lighten up well from the from the biblical perspective again it's it's our responsibility and Solomon says the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother Proverbs 29 in verse 15. So how much pain and heartache could be avoided if children were not, quote, left to themselves? Right? Because that's what people are going to just let them just let them figure it out for himself. Just let him work, work through it. And the Bible is saying, no. No, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And so when children are left to themselves by lazy parents unwilling to take responsibility and exercise discipline, that leads to grief and heartache and pain, much of which could be avoided if, as parents, again, we own up to our responsibility and be more proactive and be more assertive in the role that God has given us, right? Again, worldly experts will preach a doctrine of 
you know, ex- ex- you know, expression and, uh, you know, just let your kid express themselves, find their own way. But that's Satan's doctrine, right? But because he wants to remove all parental influence so that he can sift our children like, like wheat. Right. You look at, you know, the, and again, I, I'm not going to go into specific examples because I want to be focused more on scripture, but you know, there's a clear correlation. You just go and look at the, the research in, in, in the behaviors, you know, the delinquent behaviors of teenagers and young people, uh, you know, who go to gangs and who are pregnant and, and you know, and, and make all a number of mistakes. There's a clear correlation between those behaviors and that way of acting out with, uh, you know, a dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional home or, or, you know, divorced mom and dad or abusive parents or neglect neglectful parents uh, and, and those who are just aren't involved, who just don't care enough to be there for, for their kids. And of course, it, it goes beyond just showing up. You know, it's, it's a battle and it's a battle that begins early, according to the Bible. Scripture is exhorting us to begin training and begin instructing and disciplining our children early on. Uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 19 and verse 18, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Isn't that you know a concise, amazing statement, right? Discipline your son while there is hope. What's the implication there? Well, there's going to come a point, there's going to come a time in which your influence is not going to be the same. The discipline that maybe you're trying to exact and trying to exert is not, it's not going to have any effect. And so do it while, while there's hope, do it while you can and do not desire his death. In other words, don't be complicit. Don't be a willing party in your complicity to his spiritual destruction that will come as a result of your neglect to discipline him. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod of discipline hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently and punishes him early. So notice those key phrases again, while there is still hope, punish him early. You know, we've been given a window of time in a child's life to establish respect for authority. You know, and really by the time kids learn to walk and even before that time, Actually, you know, you can count on acts of defiance. You know, they, you know, they arch their backs and they throw tantrums and, you know, etc. And even, even very early on and even within the first year of their lives, we can meet those acts of defiance with loving firmness and teach them the meaning of the word no. Right. You know, and, and this is not to say that children are born inherently sinful, as some would argue. I, I don't preach that doctrine. I don't believe that's a biblical doctrine. And I know it's very pervasive and I know it's very popular in the, in the religious world that children uh, are, you know, are born with a corrupt nature or some sort of corrupt bent, you know, and they're just bent on committing sin and, and evil. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches because the Bible describes children as those who have no knowledge of good or evil. Deuteronomy one thirty nine. There's a number of other texts like that. Um, but I, I don't believe that doctrine is biblical, that children are just born utterly corrupt and they can't help themselves and they have to, um, they have to sin. They just can't help it. No, their, their actions, even their actions as, you know, babies and, um, even young children, they don't have any moral character yet. That's what Deuteronomy one thirty nine is, is telling us. And discipline at this stage, very early on in the early years, 
It is really about setting boundaries and establishing respect for authority. That's what we're talking about this morning, just learning the meaning of the word no. And in time, you know, as time goes on, when they do learn good from evil and their and their choices and their acts do have a moral character, right? We're not just talking about shaping desirable versus undesirable behavior, but they're but when their acts do have moral character and they're accountable for God and they're consciously choosing to do something good or do something evil, they will be better equipped in in those days to make the right choice. If we've done our job as as parents and instilling in them biblical values and and shaping their behavior and and restraining their behavior to conform to what the Bible teaches and making sure that's that they understand that that's what our our motive is that 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 ultimately we're trying to teach them how to be pleasing to God not just pleasing to mom and dad uh, not you could you know we're not slave drivers or you know they're not here to serve us they're here to serve God ultimately so that they can have fellowship with him and enjoy an eternity with him Solomon says in Proverbs 22 and verse 6 that he who reproves a boy concerning the beginning of his way, even if he becomes old, he will not turn away from it. Your Bible might say, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And of course, we remember from the outset of our Proverbs study is that Proverbs is a book of probabilities and generalizations. Certainly you can teach a child the way that he should go, and in the end, he still has a will of his own or she and can still make the wrong choice. But that will be on them. Our job as parents, again, is to equip them to make the right choice, to instill in them biblical values and teach them a respect for authority and ultimately God's authority, right? Because what they observe in mom and dad, those are those are the first authoritative figures that they will see in their life. And so our love and our discipline and the way that we administrate the, the authority over our kids that's been given to us by God is a reflection, or at least it should be a reflection of what God has over us, right? A reflection of his love, a reflection of his discipline and an authority that he has over his children, right? And, and if, we, if we botch this, well, then what does that communicate to our kids about authoritative figures like God or other authoritative figures in, in the world, right? They'll, well, they'll continue to rebel, right? If, if we botch it or if we make no effort whatsoever to establish authority. And biblically, the means by which we're called to do that is through discipline, uh, right? Which is a biblical word that's translated as training or instruction elsewhere, and the Bible says this in Hebrews twelve eleven that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So two things. Number one, discipline is necessary. Number two, discipline is unpleasant. Right? And that's an, a universal statement. Verse 11, all discipline. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. All discipline is unpleasant, but ultimately it has a goal. It has a purpose, and it's not just to be mean. It's not just to exert authority. It's not just to get our way, but ultimately God's view in through in discipline and, and exercising discipline is that we may share in his holiness and that we may have the, and enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So whatever form discipline takes, whether we're talking about 
you know, verbal correction or rebuke, or we're talking about corporal punishment and spanking and things like this, whatever form discipline takes, if it's not unpleasant, or whether we're talking about removing privileges or taking something away, if it's not unpleasant, then it's not discipline. Right? If it's not painful, then it's not discipline. And our children will learn nothing as, as a result. And this doesn't mean that all discipline, again, re- involves corporal punishment, but it is certainly included when we look into uh, the Scriptures. Proverbs 20 and verse 30, for example, Blows and wounds scrub away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. So the rod of discipline, Solomon says, the rod of discipline drives out foolishness from the heart of a child. That's the verse we started with in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. And that that is God's design. That is His way to course correct our our kids. For us to discipline our kids, one of the ways I should say, to drive out foolishness. Right, purge purge the inmost being. And yet I'm afraid that, you know, when we hear that word foolishness, we think of it as, um, because of the way we use it in our modern vernacular, that it's not as seriously as, as the, we don't take it as seriously as the Bible presents it, right? Our, our modern usage and, and understanding of a fool, I think, maybe differs from the biblical definition of what a fool is. And if you just kind of take a cursory glance through the book of Proverbs, if you just do like a, a search on your um, your Bible tool or, or your electronic Bible for fool and Proverbs. I'll, I'll just give you a few examples of what Solomon has to say here. So fools, first of all, reject wisdom and instruction. All right, so this is how he begins defining a fool. As, as someone who rejects wisdom and despises instruction in Proverbs 1 and verse 7. And he says that um, half a dozen times, at least throughout the book of Proverbs, probably more. Uh, fools don't respect their parents, Proverbs 19 and verse 26. They choose other fools to, and companions to, to be around, Proverbs 13, 20. They talk too much, Proverbs 12, 23. They're boastful, they're proud, they're arrogant, Proverbs 27, 1 and 2, uh, and 14, 16. Fools try to justify their wrongdoing and their immorality, Proverbs 12, 15. They're self-centered, Proverbs 18, 2. They're quick-tempered. They fly off the handle. They have short fuses. Proverbs twelve sixteen. Uh, they're argumentative and quarrelsome. Proverbs eighteen six. They gossip and they tattle. Uh, Proverbs eleven thirteen. They get into all sorts of trouble. Proverbs ten twenty three. They make fun of sin or they make light of sin as if their behavior, their destructive behavior, it doesn't have any consequences. Proverbs fourteen nine. Uh, they're stubborn. They're unreliable. They flatter and manipulate. Uh, they're lazy, Proverbs 10.5. They tell lies, Proverbs 12.22. They steal, Proverbs 28.24. Fools are unwise with money and make foolish decisions financially, Proverbs 14.24. Fools are immoral, Proverbs 7.22. They abuse intoxicating substances, Proverbs 23.29. And the list goes on. And so all of that, you know, I go through that in rapid fire to make the point that biblically the fool is anti anti god is is a rebel at at heart foolishness is deadly because it leads to all of these all of all of this sin and all of this destructive life ruining behavior and that's why the bible is calling parents to take it so seriously first of all in personal application to ourselves but also when it comes to 
our kids, right? The, the rod drives out or purges out. The rod of discipline drives out foolishness. Foolishness which is bound up in the heart of a child. And the folly bound up in the heart of a child will not come out easily. It requires, requires diligence and certainly verbal rebuke. But what we've seen so far in our study today, at least, is that mere words, mere words are not enough. Sometimes it is a verbal correction and, and rebuke. Um, but mere words and, and, and worldly methods, especially like parental whining, or bribery, or you know, here take take this, look at this, trying to distract our kids when they're throwing a fit or something like this. Those those are weak and worldly methods, and and really they're going to hinder and harm our children uh, more than than anything. And, and they're only going to encourage them uh, to manipulate themselves and to wind themselves to get their own way. That's what they observe us doing. They're going to learn from that. But if if we use the firm loving hand of, of discipline um, and we're consistent and we'll and we'll talk more about this Lord willing next next week as we talk about motives of discipline and the different means and methods um, as we as we do this in a, in a loving consistent way with clear boundaries um, our, our children will learn and their behavior behavior will change and, and and be shaped and they'll respect authority and Foolishness will be purged out. God has God has given us all we need to drive out foolishness from our children and make them understand the difference between acts of wisdom and acts of folly. Right? What behavior is acceptable? What behavior isn't acceptable? And 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 give them the criterion for making that decision. Right. As we present to them the standard, like, this isn't mom and dad's thinking. This isn't, you know, this isn't really mom and dad's judgment that we're handing down. But we're we're doing this because of what God expects and what God wants, as He's revealed in His Holy Word. And as we submit to Him and as we submit to His guidance and we exer- exercise discipline lovingly and and tenderly, we we will be successful. You know, the results don't come overnight. Uh, but as we remain diligent, we can we can have hope for our kids. Parents, parents are the chosen agents of God to raise wise children who love and ultimately obey Him and become members of the kingdom of His of His Son. Is that what we're doing? Are we digging into His Scripture and seeing what His Bible says about how to raise children? We're going to pick up again with this study, Lord willing, next week. And I want to talk more about uh, the motive behind discipline, what loving discipline looks like, and how that compares to um, abuse. Because certainly the Bible does not advocate uh, child abuse uh, to any to any degree, degree whatsoever. And there's a lot of stark differences as we consider um, godly discipline, corporal punishment versus versus child child abuse. And I want to talk about those, Lord willing, next week. We're almost out of time here. But I want to leave you with one final example here before we sign off from 1 Samuel. And this is the uh, example of Eli and his sons, Hophni and, and Phinehas. If you remember from 1 Samuel that uh, Eli had these uh, two boys that grew up to serve in the tabernacle and they had a lot of trouble. In 1 Samuel 2, uh, in verse 12, it says that the sons of Eli, that's Hophni and Phinehas, they were worthless men 
and they did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priest with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and then he would thrust it in the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, although the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Uh, thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take it boiled from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. And so this this continues, and they're involved in uh, fornication as as well. But essentially, they were bullies, and they were oppressing God's people, and they were not conducting their sacred office as as they should according to God's terms. And thus, we get the diagnosis here: they despised the offering of the Lord. And so Eli, verse twenty two, if you drop down there, it says Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway. And the tent of meeting, and he said to them, Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him, but if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. And so Eli the priest. He did tell his sons no, all right, but he never really enforced what he said, right? And we see the judgment of these these boys carried out who are ultimately uh, killed in, in battle if memory serves. But God says, I have told him, that is, I've told Eli, that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. When we think about that, those words from the next chapter in 1 Samuel 3, verse 13, uh, where God is revealing this uh, to Samuel to give to Eli this message about not rebuking his sons. We think about that, We compared to what we just read, he did tell his sons, no, right? The report is not good. No, this is not, this is not right, my sons. But in God's eyes, that wasn't enough because Eli never enforced what he said. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever, God said. Now Eli loved his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and he rebuked them to be sure, but not enough. It, it was only mildly for their indiscretions, right? And his, his focus seems to be on the report itself, right? People are talking bad about you, basically. But he only told them to stop. He never actually went any further and disciplined them. Hophni and Phinehas were killed, as God said they would be. And when Eli heard the news, he fell off the back of his chair and he broke his neck and he also died. It was one of Israel's most devastating moments, all because an old priest would not discipline his sons. And as much as I want my kids to like me, as much as I hate conflict and as uncomfortable as that is, right, Hebrews 12, 11, discipline is unpleasant for the moment. And as much as we don't want, you know, conflict in our homes, this this story of Eli and his son should should rattle us. And it should give us the backbone to do to do what's right rather than do what's convenient. 
right? It's easy to say, no, that's not right. Uh, you know, people are going to talk bad about you. The report is not good. But it's difficult. It's difficult to say, you stop this right now or else. Or else there's going to be consequences. And then we have to follow through with those consequences, whatever form discipline takes. Again, I'm sure Eli loved his sons. That wasn't the issue. The problem was that he, that his love for them never translated into discipline, and his sons never learned obedience, either to him and then to God, right? Because ultimately they rebelled and forsook the worship and mistreated the, the sacrifices, and as the text says, despised the offering of the Lord. They had no reverence, no respect for uh, the ceremonial uh, ordinances of, of the tabernacle, which was a tremendous offense to God. So no no respect for their father, no obedience for their father or their heavenly father. And the consequences were tragic. Eli's permissiveness destroyed a family. So are we working to exercise discipline in our home according to God's pattern in a loving and firm way so that we don't reap the same tragic consequences. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.